trip. Catnip. Do you feel it? With your scarf and your boots. Shauna, I just might love you. cell through bodies and mind screams of the earth. Souls rotten from the orgasm drug. Flesh shuddering from the ovens. Prisoners of the earth come out. Storm the studio. Burnt metal smell of interplanetary war in the raw noon streets swept by screaming glass blizzards of enemy flak. Shipped linguals, free doorways, cut word lines, photo falling, word falling, breakthrough in gray room. Towers, open fire. Citizen, you are listening to WCBN-FM in Ann Arbor. Guilt, blast, pound, stab, strap, kill. Pilot K-9, you are cut off. Back. Return to base immediately. Ride music beam back to base. Stay out of that time, Black. Well, the very memorable voice of William S. Burroughs, as well as my partner Jim Dwyer. Uh, who uh, should be here shortly. In any event, uh, kind of an odd confluence about the uh, passing of uh, Walter Cronkite and the fact that today is the 40th anniversary of uh, America landing on the moon. Talk about Cronkite in a second. Obviously, the uh, landing of a man on the moon, I heard one historian say that uh, a thousand years from now, the uh, thing that will be the most memorable achievement of the 20th century, although I might dispute this, but uh, in terms of uh, human history, was the fact that we did land on the moon. And it's interesting that we landed on the moon because of a commitment made by John F. Kennedy uh, as part of the Cold War, sort of the space race, uh, the Sputnik uh, event motivated uh, the United States to uh, devote uh, billions of dollars uh, to putting a man on the moon. And to say that it was a great technical achievement, I think, is beyond dispute. Obviously, maybe the atom bomb would be the other one. But landing on the moon was an incredible technical event that spurred all sorts of innovation. And needless to say, one of the big factors in why we landed on the moon is the fact that Lyndon Johnson succeeded John F. Kennedy. Houston is where mission control is. Uh, no, you know, he, of course, was known as a uh, New Deal Democrat. He was elected to Congress, uh, I think, originally back in 1936. And it's well known early in his career that FDR tucked him under his wing. And uh, Johnson was a big believer in the New Deal and uh, government uh, intervention in the economy. He was a classic Democratic New Dealer, but he was also a Cold War warrior. So the fact that uh, Texas and Southern California benefited enormously from uh, the space race, so to speak, is beyond dispute. And I think that one of the outstanding sort of historical books analyzing this uh, 
thing called the Yankee and Cowboy War by Carl Oglesby, who was a uh, a member of the SDS, an organization that was originally founded here in Michigan by Tom Hayden, the so-called Port Huron Statement. So the technical uh, advancement of landing on the moon, uh, as uh, symbolic and maybe useless as it was, did spur an incredible uh, development of science and research into technology, computer technology, uh, aerodynamics, aeropropulsion, rocket uh, stuff, you know, all kinds of stuff. And it was a momentous event, and I think that one of the the ironies of Walter Cronkite passing away uh, so close to this anniversary is that Walter Cronkite, I think, is remembered, uh, at least I remember him, I grew up with him, um, as, you know, having incredible um, uh, play-by-play coverage of the event itself. Um, the, the famous, oh boy, yeah, <laughs> which I think is a very interesting response to the fact that uh, the eagle has landed. And, of course, uh, CBN and one of their more memorable station IDs has the immortal voice of Richard Nixon. Addressing those astronauts. Neil and Buzz, <laughs> this is the President of the United States talking to you from... <laughs> yes, indeedy. Well, as somebody who, Jim Dwyer, joining the program a little late here, uh, who has been more often than not critical of the space program, uh, many listeners, I'm sure, share my concern about the resultant militarization of space. And it's always been a sort of a balancing act between the technological advances that such pursuits have made possible and the tendency for these technologies to slip through the hands of uh, civilian usage and into uh, military strategic planning and so forth. Uh, it's undeniable, as you say, the amazing accomplishment of the space landing. It's a sort of a personal anecdote that uh, ties the, the Cronkite connection to uh, my own sort of indifference to, in many ways to the space program. Uh, I remember distinctly the uh, the July 20th, 1969 Waking up, coming downstairs, it was a Saturday morning, if I'm uh, remembering uh, correctly. Uh, and my dismay that uh, my dad was already watching TV and I didn't have access to my morning TV shows. Ah. And I, I remember saying to my dad, what's Walter Cronkite doing on? Because he's the evening news guy. Yeah. He shouldn't be on on the morning. And uh, my dad was all excited. He'd gotten up early to watch the, the moon landing, sure. as many, many Americans did. And uh, so my dad explained, oh, they're landing on the moon today. Come on, let's watch. And, uh, of course, I sat down and watched. But uh, my first concern was, so are they going to show Captain Kangaroo later? Uh, but I think... Looking back in that uh, that memory in retrospect, wait, there's Captain Kangaroo on the moon, right? <laughs> <laughs> and there's Mr. Moose with his ping pong balls. <laughs> but that for people of of our generation uh, who grew up, as you say, with Walter Cronkite on TV, he was the C CBS News anchor from '61 or '62 through '82. Yeah, and uh, that's a big chunk of uh, our lifetimes. Um, he was always there. Always and there. you could rely on him. He was, not to diminish either man's uh, uh, standing, uh, but in a way he was kind of like Captain Kangaroo. He was a friendly uh, face, uh, a guy you could trust. And I think um, it's sad to see the passing of Walter Cronkite. 
in in another way, uh, personal, it uh, he's of our grandparents' generation, and uh, my grandparents. Yeah. Anyway, your parents a bit older than mine. Sure. Um, and so uh, here's a guy who uh, reported on the Battle of Bulge, who had some amazing moments. He called himself and considered himself uh, simply a presenter of the news, but. In at least two specific moments, uh, historically watershed moments in uh, America's journey through the 60s, uh, Walter Cronkite said just the right thing at just the right time to make the rest of the country go, wow, okay. The oh boy is, of course, a shared excitement that everyone had. But when Walter Cronkite drew a sort of a question mark at the end of, uh, well, gee, the Tet Offensive, Mm -hmm. I don't know. This doesn't look winnable. This is a stalemate. Um, And again, when when Dan Rather, reporting from the floor of the Democratic National Convention in Chicago, was uh, strong-armed away from a Georgia delegate who had been uh, forcibly removed from the floor. Uh, Dan Rather, as the floor reporter, trying to find out who this delegate was and why his forcible removal was occurring, was uh, strong-armed and and sucker-punched in the gut. And when the cameras cut back to Walter Cronkite, he just sort of put his head down in his hand and sort of said, well... If this is what we have to deal with, we may as well just pack up our cameras and go. And his disgust mm-hmm. at the you know, uh, brutalizing tactics of the uh, daily administration's security apparatchiks, uh, you know, and, and as Walter Cronkite later observed, Hubert Humphrey lost the presidency the night he won the nomination. Yeah, and of course, the, Walter Cronkite's very memorable reporting of John F. Kennedy's death is that's another incredible moment in American yeah. history. And I think that yeah, his obituary is worth reading just for the impressive uh, career that he had, uh, his role in reporting World War II to the American public, and the fact that he was brought on board by Edward R. Murrow. Yep. Um, I think that the, the 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 words that come to my mind about Walter Cronkite. I mean, I like the way the New York Times' headline says, Walter Cronkite, 92, dies, trusted voice of TV news. Um, I, because I think that what he had, he had three things that, that, that always struck me as remarkable, besides the great voice. I mean, the voice in and of itself is uh, soothing. And it's interesting that they've been doing studies uh, regarding the male voice and how huh. the deeper the voice... Uh, <laughs> the better the breeding selection, as Dr. Strangelove would have... <laughs> well, Barry White's proved that. Yes, Barry White has proven that over and over. <laughs> He's the man with all the chicks. But uh, what, what what always struck me was he was avuncular. He reminded you mm-hmm. of your great uncle. Yeah. And he had credibility. He had moral authority. And I think that some media analysts over the week have, have talked about the diffusion of the news and the sources of news and Walter Cronkite was that solid base and he called them as as he saw them when he reported that the uh, Vietnam War was basically uh, you know not winnable a stalemate a stalemate term, yeah. after he went to Vietnam to report uh, on the Tet Offensive um, it's interesting that Bill Moyers then a Johnson aide is the uh, New York uh, Times obituary by Douglas Martin notes, said the president flipped off the set, Mr. Moyers recalled, and said, I've lost Cronkite. I've lost middle America.
And, of course, he shortly after the Cronkite report decided not to uh, seek re-election. Then it's also fascinating that uh, Walter Cronkite, on the 27th of October, 1972, and this, of course, is probably not quite as memorable for most Americans, had a 14-minute report on Watergate. This is shortly before the uh, massive re-election of Richard Nixon. And also in a time when most news stories were four minutes or less. Yeah, and apparently Nixon was very teed off about this uh, focus on Watergate uh, and feared what would be coming next. And, of course, this was in the sort of incipient stages of wa of uh, Watergate. And, of course, the you know, the photograph that this obituary has shows Mike Wallace, Henry, uh, Harry Reasoner, Roger Mudd, and Eric Severide, and a fellow that I'm not that familiar with, Robert Trout, but apparently he was one of the early pioneers. This were, were the this is a photograph of the uh, CBS election team covering the 1964 uh, presidential race, which, needless to say, that year was a landslide for uh, uh, Lyndon Johnson. Mm -hmm. um, but I always remembered Eric Severide having those commentaries. There, you know, he has this kind of dour, stern-looking guy, and he very serious. But there was something about the fact that Cronkite and Severide were were serious men. You took them seriously because they were serious. They weren't trivializing the news. They were talking soberly about the problems that America was confronting during that era. And it's always been so fascinating to me to compare the photographs of the United States of America, the people and from the early 60s, mm. and how different they looked compared to the late 60s. Incredible a transformation of our society in all sorts of so -so socioeconomic uh, ways. And of course, Vietnam um, and you know the civil rights movement and whatnot was all part of the uh, transformation of America. And you're right. He says, uh, I'm a news presenter, a news broadcaster, an anchorman, a managing editor, not a commentator or analyst, uh, as he put it. But he coordinated that reportage from the field. And, of course, Severide was an opinion sure. man. And his, his uh, commentaries were, uh, I thought, sober and on the mark in a lot of uh, regards. Um, and it's interesting that Walter Cronkite later in his life became a uh, sort of special presenter <laughs> for National Public Radio and those famous uh, recreations of World War II and all sorts of stuff. So oh, well, the uh, you are there. You are there. Um, trusted voice of TV news. Uh, yes, indeed. And it's uh, rather sad that we don't have more of them. Uh, my well, that's, only, that's the other thing. My yeah. only trusted voice of TV news at the moment, moment is Keith Oberman. And I think, I mean, obviously he is a commentator. He does have a kind of entertainment facetious style, mm -hmm. but I like it. And I like the fact that he throws his uh, sheets at the uh, camera from time to time and signs off the air with uh, good night and good luck. Because that's, that's Edward Murrow's, uh, Edward R. Murrow's uh, line. And... The fact that Walter Cronkite, of course, was known for this famous phrase. That's the way it is. And that's the way it is. Now, there's something about that that's fascinating. And it's interesting to note that uh, the president of CBS News, according to the obituary by uh, Douglas Martin, 
something that I'm sure they 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 wrote long ago because well, Walter Cronkite lived to be a oh a venerable old age of uh, 92. There, uh, he said uh, that he wasn't into the line because it ate up a precious four seconds, and uh, the offbeat items were never done. And Cronkite said, I began to think Dick, uh, according to uh, Richard Salant, the president of CBS News, I began to think Dick was right, but I was too stubborn to drop it. Well, thank goodness he didn't drop it. Well, that's a great catchphrase because it can play in either direction. Yeah. If, if there's exciting, good, positive, hopeful news, well, by golly, that's the way it is, all right? And there's also a the sort of shadow of uh, doubt and concern in the line, too, mm -hmm. that... Yeah. Uh, was so often uh, applicable in the uh, turbulent decades of the 60s and the 70s. I, for one, shed a tear uh, when I heard that Walter Cronkite had passed. Well, he was a, a, a reliable person for me growing up. I was lucky that in, my family tended to eat dinner late, so we sort of watched the CBS Evening News while we were eating dinner. Yeah, watched it every night. Um, and it was uh, reassuring to know that Walter Cronkite, also I think another thing about him was this avuncular quality that he had, that he was not, you know, a Hollywood type doing the news. He was a serious-looking man and uh, presented the news seriously for the public. And, of course, uh, CBS and... The New York Times have teamed up over the years uh, doing uh, polling data regarding American uh, opinions on all sorts of things. And uh, I think that that shows a little bit more credibility to the public than uh, some other news organizations. In any event, sorry to see Walter Cronkite pass away, but uh, I think useful to reflect on his career in terms of its relevance to American history. Well, especially now when the uh, news distribution services uh, are changing so much. More and more people are going to the Internet for news rather than uh, mainstream corporate news broadcasting. Uh, newspapers are dying on the vine. Yep. And again, the Internet is sort of there to, to pick up the slack. Cable TV of Keith Olbermann is for, uh, what, CNBC? CNBC. Uh, so... The entire industry is in a transformative moment, and you know where are the the future Walter Cronkites? Will they have the opportunity to uh, perform and uh, deliver the service that you know reading the news is in a uh, trustworthy and respectable way? Yeah, and I've always p contemplated. I don't exactly know when he retired, but I know it was in the early '80s. Um, but I've always wondered if he had remained in the news anchor position, how differently the Reagan administration might have been portrayed. Um, well, actually, he was friends with, with yeah. Reagan. And so one of the things I noticed on the Internet in the wake of his uh, parting uh, was how polarizing some of the opinions were that some people were denouncing Cronkite as, oh, well, we lost the Vietnam War because of his sure. uh, proclamation. And others were saying, oh, he was no different than any other corporate news figurehead. He, you know, had these occasional glimpses where he would present actual truth, but otherwise followed the establishment line. And I, I think both of those, you know, positions are extreme and, and inaccurate. 
But uh, I think you're right that uh, the, the Reagan administration did not uh, undergo the kind of scrutiny that administrations before and after it uh, have, have undergone. And yeah. He might have been the guy to apply that sort of necessary looking glass. And without speculating about his personal politics, I think that it's quite clear from the obituary that, uh, as uh, Douglas Martin noted, that Eisenhower was maybe who he was closest mm. with. So if you think of an Eisenhower Republican uh, in terms of Walter Cronkite, because he did, you know, grow up in middle America, uh, talks about how he delivered newspapers as a youngster in Houston, Texas. Um, so uh, he was no uh, flaming radical uh, right. by any stretch of the imagination. But as I say, I think that at the end of the day, what strikes me as his real significance was his credibility. Right. He was incorruptible. And he knew, for instance, with the Watergate scandal escalating, and that's probably when I became really interested in the news was the, the Senate uh, joint um, well, it started out as the Senate hearings in 73, but it was, you know, a 73 war on. It was quite clear that Nixon was engaged in subterfuge. All sorts of hanky-panky, <laughs> to use his word, that he uh, uttered to John Dean. Oh, that'll involve the Bay of Pigs and a whole bunch of other hanky-panky. Uh, of course, it wasn't the uh, <clears throat> hiking the Appalachian Trail hanky-panky. <laughs> It was all sorts of other hanky-panky. Worse. The kind, the kind of <laughs> Nixon, Nixonian hanky-panky. Bribes, uh, payoffs, cover-ups, bugging. <laughs> bugging, you know, even people in his own administration. Yeah. Obsessed with those leaks, those pesky leaks. Interesting to think, too, you mentioned that Cronkite, probably closest to uh, Eisenhower, mm -hmm. friendliness-wise, uh, you wonder where would if if Eisenhower were here today, would there be a place for him in today's Republican Party? Well, that's what you wonder. About. I think probably not, because you can think of former governor of Michigan, William Milliken. He's yep. very troubled. And even Gerald Ford, towards the end of his life, yep. became very troubled. Sort uh, of ideological the, right wing veer off. Yeah. And of course, when Ford was in Congress, he was. <laughs> you know, as mainstream conservative Republican as you can get. Yep. As for Ronald Reagan, um, you know, I've been reading quite a bit about Reagan this uh, this past year. And uh, to give you an idea of how foolish he was, uh, in 1965, he, uh, when the Vietnam War was just starting, said, oh, well, we'll, we'll, we'll have Vietnam uh, paved a couple of times over and we'll be home by Christmas. That's the Dick Cheney, they'll greet us with right. roses and parades. and. But it's also Reagan's, you know, his professional background is films, movie yeah. making. Entertainment. Entertainment and, and myth making. And if so, you want to call it that. <laughs> it's pretty low quality entertainment as far as that goes. But the idea that, yeah, this is the projected schedule, we're going to shoot, they're going to edit, and we'll have a... A picture in the theaters by Christmas. Um, and I'll be in bedtime f with Bonzo <laughs> by 9.30. <laughs> Those pesky hours that, dreams. The, that the president has to keep from time to time. Reagan never seemed to quite live up to the standard. <laughs> Waking him up at 3 in the morning might have turned into a uh, an adventure. <laughs> 
And probably very difficult, uh, the large number of medications that he was likely on. <laughs> yes, as well as the hair. You know, I saw an, an old, uh, a picture of Walter Cronkite when he was a little older, and to think that he was younger than Reagan, and then to see Reagan on TV mm. and contrasted with, right. wait, Walter Cronkite's real. <laughs> Reagan has shoe polish on his hair. <laughs> or the other thing... Uh, that you can't tell from Shinola sometimes. Yeah, and of course, it later emerged that Grecian formula had lead in it. <laughs> so Reagan's problems were so numerous, but we, but yeah, we now that, know why he was uh, losing his mind. Well, even comedically, that administration was let off the hook. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Dan Aykroyd did his brilliant characterizations of, of Nixon and Carter, um, and was it uh, Dana Carey did his George W. Bush? Oh, right. uh, very certified. Tight shoulders and nasally. Tight nasally. Yeah, wouldn't be prudent. <clears throat> Those were devastating uh, satires. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Tina Fey's Sarah Palin uh, of the uh, last year was uh, probably a determining factor for some people. And, okay, that woman is totally ridiculous. But there were very few uh, comedic attacks on Reagan. I think one Robin Williams uh, episode of Saturday Night Live. That was about it. Yeah, so, and that one was brilliant. Uh, too bad it wasn't shown more often. Yeah. Um, as for Tina Fey, uh, we'll give a brain damage award out to one of the senior editors from the National Review. The night of the de uh, vice presidential debate, uh, he famously said that the big loser tonight was Tina Fey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I thought... <laughs> Uh, no, dude. Are you kidding? <laughs> well, uh... She's just getting started. Was it Newsweek? I think Newsweek magazine this week had their cover story is, you know, what next for the renegade? And there's a picture of Sarah Palin, Sarah Palin standing on the end of a dock. And so, why don't you play a game of solitaire? Don't jump. <laughs> uh, she's not really a renegade so much as a nincompoop. Yeah. I heard something funny at the uh, the uh, Liberty Street. Uh, well, of course, Mavericky is what she's Mavericky. Right? <laughs> What's all Mavericky over what there? She's known for now. Well, I overheard something humorous at the uh, Republican booth at the uh, recent Ann Arbor Art Fair. Uh -huh. uh, they had a number of. Uh, that's my favorite part of the art fair, the nonprofit section. I just walk around and look and see what they have. The Republican booth happened to have a large number of pins, election pins, the sort of lapel buttons that you pin on uh, from various Republican campaigns. And uh, they had a nice Nixon one that I wanted to get to add to my collection. Put me in the awkward position of, of actually giving money to the Republicans, which is something I've never done before. But I uh, really wanted this pin. So I confessed to the guy, you know, I'm something of I'm a, a Nixon fan. I'm a collector. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he said, oh, uh, you, you, you like Nixon, huh? And I said, well, I think of Nixon as my favorite uh, comic book supervillain. And he didn't know quite how to take that, but I concluded the transaction. While I was doing so, a woman came up to my left and looked at, oh, mom, we have to get a Sarah Palin pin. And here's one that says McCain Palin. If it had said Palin McCain, we would have won. And I just sort of thought, wow, I'm just going to back away and let you continue to labor under that delusion because... Well, that that is a belief amongst the, the base. Yeah, but <laughs> that base is Which off is center. <laughs> such an ironic characterization because that's what Al-Qaeda means. The, the base. base. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to need a new uh, moniker. Well, I don't know. The base and Al-Qaeda are ideologically really not that far removed. 
extremist religious worldview designed to be imposed on others. And, of course, we can at least now acknowledge that, that uh, Governor Sanford and Senator Ensign have gotten beyond first base. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Well, uh, now that uh, we're departing from the Sea of Tranquility, Neil and Buzz, <laughs> this is the president speaking to you. It's a privilege, sir. Ah, <laughs> oh, one of the great WCBN station IDs. <laughs> Richard Nixon bringing peace and earth. Yeah, maybe we can end the program with that one. If uh, Andrew can get that one queued up at the end of the show, we'll see how that works. Otherwise, stay tuned for it. By the way, one last note on that. Excellent film available on DVD now called For All Mankind. Uh if you're interested in sort of going beyond the sort of fictional recreations of these historic events, uh, this is a very unique film which shows sort of uh, footage that the astronauts sh shot themselves with Super 8 cameras uh, inside the uh, cabin of the Apollo uh, vessel. Uh, and it talks a little bit about some of the music they listened to as they orbited the moon. Um, Buck Owens specially recorded some music. Uh, I think it was Buzz Aldrin was a big country music fan. Mm -hmm. And so uh, he had a cassette prepared specially for him by Buck Owens, and so you get this very sort of comfortable, homey feel as you watch the uh, the first moon landing uh, for all mankind, a uh, very worthwhile film. And it's remarkable that the American media can actually, it has programs claiming that the moon landing was staged, you know, that there's a conspiracy and it never happened. What was that? Is a film, uh, yeah. Capricorn One, I think, was the name of the well, film. Well, there's O.J. Simpson was in it. But I, th but I, well, there was a film, but I think there's also been like a documentary or two that have actually appeared yeah. on ABC and Fox, uh, questioning whether we ever got there and that this was staged in the desert somehow. Uh, I don't believe that no, for one that's second. I think pretty we did, ridiculous. We did make it, and, uh, as I said earlier, I think uh, I, I've heard historians claim that a thousand years from now, this may be regarded as the greatest human accomplishment of the 20th century. There is a desire in, in the human spirit to explore. Uh, I'm a little skeptical of manned mission attempts to go to Mars, but uh, I'm all in favor of continued Mars exploration. Going back to the moon, I don't really know. I don't think there's much to be gained from that, but... Uh... Unless, of course, the monolith happens to be on the dark side of the moon. <laughs> Emitting its single high-pitched tone in the direction of Jupiter. Its origin. What, what does a it go? A complete mystery. Its origin, a complete mystery, yeah. You're listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. The program is Gray Matters. We're going to probably run over a little bit today. Uh, Yazoo City Calling will start uh, in an eventual moment. Well, anyway, uh, coming back to Earth for a second, uh, over the weekend, of course, uh, Michigan went into first place, uh, reporting that unemployment had uh, surpassed 15% for the first time since 1984. It's interesting that 14 other oh. states' unemployment is top 10% in June. Those were Alabama, California, Florida, Georgia, Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Nevada, North Carolina, Ohio, Rhode Island, South Carolina, and Tennessee. That gives you an idea of the breadth and depth of the uh, continuing jobs problem here in the United States. We've had a lot of reportage over the last week that the recession is over. 
um, that the leading indicators are up, that the stock market's back, that the banks are back. Well, uh, I don't know if you have any money in the bank, but check the rates the banks are paying uh, in, in recent months on uh, savings deposits or certificates of deposits, and you'll discover why the banks are, quote, 